You're only gonna say this once. Get out. You don't deserve to wear one of these. Shut it down. Goldstein. Yes, Mr. Stark. Give me a fat beat to beat my biceps. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to the MCU Phase by Phase uh, here on the Tribe of Nerds podcast. Uh, Will, JJ, and I are going to be talking about the next two movies in the MCU, Iron Man 2 and Thor. Um, Iron Man 2 is what we'll start with uh, in 2010. It was also directed by John Favreau, uh, same as Iron Man 1. Um, and, uh, I know that the production was kind of rushed for Iron Man 2. John Favreau wanted another year, but Disney and, uh, Marvel Studios wanted him to do it, uh, in 2010, um, because they're setting up for the Avengers. Um, so I guess, what were your guys' initial impressions of Iron Man 2? Uh, one point worth noting, at this point, um, Disney did not own Marvel, so it would have just been Marvel rushing it. Um, mm-hmm. But initial impression, um, I mean, I can't really speak to that. I don't remember how I felt about each movie the first time I watched it. And, mm-hmm. you know, these ones a decade ago, they're so hard to, it's so hard to think back that far. But on yeah. my most recent rewatch, which was today, um, <laughs> I liked it a lot better than I had in previous watchings. Um, The movie has some major flaws, for sure. But I really liked the the way that Tony acted through his character arc in this movie of believing he was going to die. Mm -hmm. And then the, like, way that he bounced back so fervently um, once... Like, he discovered the new element, the replacement for Palladium. Mm -hmm. And I really like Whiplash as a villain, but he was grossly misused in this movie. Um, I I didn't get enough of Iron Man fighting Whiplash, Mm -hmm. or Iron Man fighting Whiplash's underlings, kind of, with Justin Hammer's drones, and, of course, Justin Hammer. (laughs) Wow. The movie has its issues. It's not a terrible movie, but compared to a lot of the other Marvel movies, it's kind of on the bottom for me. See, I was the opposite. When I first saw it, one of the first few times that I remember watching it, I actually enjoyed it. But the more I watched it, the less and less I enjoyed it, just because I started noticing certain things differently. Or at least something that I thought I viewed the first time. It wasn't the same, like the third or fourth time. And there was just so much that I didn't like about it. And I tried to cling on to the few elements that I did genuinely enjoy. Like Tony Stark's kind of like bounce back, you know, journey that he was having. Like here we thought, you know, Tony was on his way. But then, you know, here he thought he was dying. You see him kind of revert back to old Tony, and then, you know, spur of the moment, here he is again, you know, rising up again. Mm-hmm. So, I thought, what a cool little dilemma, but I don't, like, uh, 
that was only like so much like the like save the movie i think my favorite scene or we'll get to that later but there was like only like my favorite part of the movie was like actually like early on mm-hmm. and then after that it just fell off for me yeah um mine so i mean again it's one of these that i went back and watched much later um i know mine was just like being like i agree with will and that it starts off well and then as it goes on it kind of just spins off um also agreed so yeah i mean i wish the rest of the film was like the first what like 30 45 minutes or whatever that it was good (laughs) yeah if that um so we can talk about casting now um so, of course, in the first episode, we talked about War Machine, but it was Terrence Howard. In this one, he is replaced by who he is going to be for the rest of the MCU, Don Cheadle, um, who uh, I know he was in movies like Hotel Rwanda, and um, if you've watched uh, spoop videos, he's been Captain Planet. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I. what are your thoughts on Don Cheadle as Rhodey? introduced in this Mm -hmm. because it was like a really really subtle fourth wall break how he was just like yeah it's me whatever deal with it yes um and like it wasn't meant to be about the actor but at the same time it felt like it was about the actor um and it was really kind of a different roadie um in iron man 2 from iron man 1 and i thought that don cheadle portrayed this roadie very well mm-hmm. um, because th- this roadie was more serious um, he seemed more uh, like more into the military side of his personality and um, he was like doing damage control for Tony um, more so than just being his friend and I think he did a good job of that mm-hmm. I, I agree I, I liked him as roadie lot more wasn't like there was anything wrong with the previous actor but i just enjoyed it with the direction that they were taking roadie he definitely pulled it off and i got a vibe hey, jj i have a different vibe from him though but one that i enjoyed this roadie felt more like the roadie that was he was more of like that best friend of the terms of i'm gonna call you an idiot i'm gonna joke around <laughs> with you more but i'm gonna call you out on your shit and I'm not afraid to. And as we see later on, if I got to knock some sense into my blood, I'll throw some hands and knock some sense into my blood. Mm-hmm. So I definitely enjoyed the direction they were going with Rhodey. It definitely was a good fit, especially with how they later wanted to do Rhodey. I thought he did a great job. One of the few bright spots in this movie was the new actor for uh, Rhodey. Yeah, I, I agree. I liked Don Cheadle a lot. There's so much more, like friendly humor and banter between Rhodey and Tony in this movie and moving forward. Um, and you can really feel that friendship going on. And, and I, I don't know that it was necessarily there as much in the first Iron Man um, with uh, the way Terrence Howard portrayed him. Um, it was a different friendship. Yeah. Like it, it was like a definitely different kind of friendship. That's why I didn't, I didn't think Terrence did a bad job. It was right. They wanted Rhodey to be in the first one. Mm-hmm. Nailed it, but like they definitely wanted to take a different direction, and Don Gino knocked it out of the park. Right. Um, 
Also, we get another uh, main Avenger. We've already met Tony and Hulk, although Hulk's going to get recast. But uh, we get Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. Um, and uh, so what What did you think of Black Widow, I guess, just in this movie alone? <laughs> I don't know if that's on this. <laughs> I'm glad we relegated to just this movie because mm-hmm. Black Widow is a different character in every single movie we see her in. Yes. Um, I'm kidding. Yes. And, uh, we'll get into that more as we get into some of the later Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they misused her in this movie. Um, it was good to see... I, I loved seeing the, like, agent, um, double agent side of her, and I think that that was really well done. But the fight scenes, um, while, yeah, it was cool to see Black Widow be a badass fighter, they just... They didn't feel like they gave as much to those scenes as I wanted. And there was really only one of them. Yeah. Um, I didn't need the overt sexuality throughout the movie. Um, I would have been okay with just the like awkward sexual tension between Tony and Natasha. Yeah. But then on top of that, also having the scene with her changing in the car on the way to Hammer facilities, that was just unnecessary. Yeah. Especially for something that's intended to be a family film. Like, not that that's like, terribly out there but that's not black widow like yeah she, she uses it to her advantage but we don't need to capitalize on that aspect of it right i can agree with that um and i, I mean will you can go with what more you you thought and i'll go i when i first saw black widow i was very concerned in the sense that was she really gonna stick mm-hmm. because it, like the way she was used, I enjoyed her. Like, don't get wrong, I enjoyed Black Widow. I knew what Black Widow was about. I knew her character, you know, and shit like that. And I thought Scarlett Johansson portrayed, you know, at least you know, looked the part. And I enjoyed seeing her on screen. But there was just certain things where I just was like, especially the more I watched it, I just sat there and I was like, man. It almost felt like they were gambling a little bit with Black Widow, like at the time when they threw her out there. Right. And I get your point, like, with the whole, you know, like, like, over-sexualizing, you know, her in that movie. And I look back at it, during that time period, if you really remember, a lot of movies were doing, like, that over-cheesy, like, undressing or, like, you know, very revealing, you know, comedy bit of it all. So it's, like, it doesn't surprise me it was there, but, like, I don't blame you for, like, if you just thought it was overused. Personally, like, even watching it more, even though I know how cheesy and cliche it is like especially with the changing scene as overdone as it been in it didn't bother me as much for the mere fact of i really could picture happy trying to do something like that <laughs> like it just seems like some like happy alone would be trying to like you know sneak a peek during like all that matter but like it would like it was just one of those things where i was just genuinely surprised and the wrong ways of, oh, Black Widow's here. They're really going to do this, huh? They're throwing her in here now, of all movies? Right. Okay. Cool. And you know what? From there on, you know, we I thought she could be tied in more with Tony, but as we get on later on, you know, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, really- 
On that point, if I may, um, yeah. I do think that they did a good job of establishing that she wasn't going to be an Iron Man character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I'm glad that they did that here instead of later separating her from Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Because it would have been harder to do in a later movie. Later. Right. Yeah, I can agree with everything you said, JJ, with, like, the over-sexualization. Um, and, like, I, I think later we're gonna see more of how badass Black Widow is rather than just... And her using what she has to her advantage in a situation rather than it just being there for comedy or for, you know... Ironically, that's my favorite look with Black Widow. Out of all the times I see Black Widow, that's one of my favorites. Mm. See, I, I just didn't like the hair being that curly yeah i don't i, I think i'm just personally like, just a sucker for curly hair but that's i think that, that having the hair that curly kind of detracts from the fight scenes because it's more motion to look at mm-hmm. um, because the hair bounces so much more um, yeah especially in that type of combat well, that's the tool, man. You bounce and knocks and move. <laughs> like Batman's cave. It's not meant there, you know. It's meant there to catch your eye. So the curls <laughs> catch your eye when it bounces. Okay. All right. <laughs> I got you. All right. Um, <laughs> um, and I guess that's... And, of course, we still have Gwyneth Paltrow and John Favreau in their roles. Um, and I guess, you know, we can talk about some minor roles, but I... Oh, and of course you have Nick Fury and Coulson coming back as well in the movie, um, and I think we can talk about that as as we go on um, into I our think overall Coulson's movie. A good thoughts. character to talk about now. Yeah, we can talk um, about Coulson because this was his first like kind of more major role, um, even yeah. though it wasn't that major. But like he got more screen time in this movie than he did in Iron the first Iron Man. Yeah. Um, and I, I just love Coulson so much. <laughs> Coulson's great. He's such a great person to have in like that kind of middleman role where he's not quite at the top, but he's almost there. Like it's awesome that Fury sent this like kind, gentle person and was like, Yeah, I'm gonna put this person over Tony and be like, You tell him to get his (laughs) shit together. Cause like Who's going to listen to Coulson like that? But then Coulson pulls it off. Yeah. That's not the kind of person he is. And Coulson's like, well, I'm going to tase you so much that you'll be drilling into the carpet. (laughs) (laughs) I watch Super Danny. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great line. (laughs) Love it. Oh, man. Um, Yeah, and and I guess we can mention Nick Fury some as well um, in this movie. I think Nick Fury, um, I mean, my favorite line also is, I mean, I guess we can talk more favorite moments later, but just Nick Fury walking up to Tony when he's sitting on the donut sign. He's like, uh, I'm going to ask you to exit the giant donut. <laughs> um, and just, and Tony just talking to uh, Nick Fury and Nick Fury, like telling him like he needs to cut, he needs to fix this poison issue that's uh, hurting him. Um, and so I, I think that's re- I think that's really good. I think the I really like the interaction with uh, Nick Fury and Tony in this movie. I agree one hundred percent. And kind of shooting off that, one of my favorite moments um, in this movie is when Nick Fury's like uh, is basically telling Tony like you're here on my radar, and <laughs> then I've got all these things 
that I'm dealing with up here. Mm -hmm. And it just reminds me of how much each hero is in their own little world and how there are all these things going on at the same time. Right. And how there are much, much bigger threats than Whiplash, you know? Right. I, I, I think also what I loved about that scene, though, too, it was also just more so of, like, another humbling moment for... For Tony, in the sense that, and it was just like a, it was another pecking order that I really loved to see, especially this early with Nick Fury, because we all know what Nick Fury's going to lead up to be in terms of you know he's the one that's going to get these people together. Right. So Nick, from the beginning, as we're going through, he's got to establish his pecking order, and that's why I still love Samuel L. Jackson as that role because just that name alone just commands respect. Like you right. respect him, but anyways, when he was doing that. It also was just like a reminder to Tony, like, you think you're all this. You may have other, like, common government, like, in, in Nick Fury's mind, like, the common government, like, crawling at your feet, concerned, you know, by your beck and call and stuff like that. But he's just like, to me, dude, you're just a small fish. Mm-hmm. And I got much bigger issues. And it, at some point, it felt like more so, he's like, I'm doing you a favor, Tony, by trying to talk to you about this. Because mm-hmm. I... And the other circumstances, like, people in my stature, people with my responsibility wouldn't even be near you. Like, that's where you get Coulson's. That's where you get the Coulson guy. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, you get guys at that level. And what I love just about Nick Fury, again, he's building so much momentum. And, like, I got got nothing to complain about Nick Fury. Yeah. Just in general, just him in this movie was just another, like, slight bright spot that I just enjoyed looking forward to. Yeah. And again, it's just a YouTube clip that I could just pull up instead of having to watch through the whole movie. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we, and I do want to mention this character, um, Howard Stark appears in this, um, and is really, this is really Tony's first moment with his dad since his death. Um, and we won't find out about that more till later. Um, but I mean, they portray Howard Stark pretty much like Walt Disney and the way they're showing him. I mean, that's why I was a little confused with, like, did Disney have Marvel by this point? Because they're definitely shooting for the whole Walt Disney vibe in that I'm glad video. I'm the only one that thought that because I was like, <laughs> is this like an introduction to Walt? Like, it- <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think that that makes sense because it makes Howard Stark more relatable to mm-hmm. our world. Right. Um, because in this universe he really is kind of a character and stark industries is as big as disney is in our world and kind of drawing that parallelism just puts everything into perspective i think you're right right um and i do love john slattery in the role i mean we're gonna get more john slattery as the mcu goes on and specifically once we get to the end we're gonna get we'll get there when we get there um, but I, I think John Slattery is great as Howard Stark. My only problem with the way that Howard Stark was portrayed in this movie is that, um, it like touches on a vein with Tony, mm-hmm. um, in their relationship, but it doesn't get deep enough into it in this movie or really in the future movies to build up to some of the repercussions of that, of those family relationships that happen, especially in civil war. But right, I can talk about those in future episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, I I, I, I felt meh just for the mere fact of 
and I, I knew when he was introduced, I was like, all right, this is just more of so just like another way of getting the plot going. And it was more of a moment for Tony than anything else. So it's like, I didn't really invest so much. I'm not saying the guy did a bad job, but I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to be lying here and be like, oh my God, he was a great choice. It was just like, honestly, in the moment, they could have put almost anybody in there. Yeah. I would have been fine with it just because for the mere sake of, okay, we're just trying to get, you know, Tony to start feeling again, you know, feeling good things. So let's go. Come on, guys. I guess I'm feeling a little more biased t- towards what happens later, so I, I, I like the I like Howard Stark. Um, at, I get it. I'm just saying, though, like, just for, like, that scene he was in, though, it was just like... In this movie, yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think um, we can move to... We'll talk about the villains when we get to our rankings, but um, we'll talk about those actors as well. Um, and I think there's something funny to say about uh, one of the villains um, and how the actor portrayed him. Um, but let's talk about what we think the film could have done better. Because we know that Iron Man 2 was kind of a mess. Um... In my opinion, I feel that Iron Man 2, I think there's just so many subplot lines going on at the same time. Um, I think that, I mean, you have Tony dealing with being poisoned, which I think is great in itself. But then you have that mixed with, okay, well, you have you have Whiplash he has to deal with, but really that doesn't really end up being much of a concern um, as it maybe should be. Um, and then you have, uh, I mean, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s trying to get Tony as well. I mean, you, you have all these subplot lines and Pepper's taking over the company. So, I mean, there's just, there's a lot going on. So I think I, go ahead, Will. I was just gonna ask, so what, if, with all the subplots then, that you were talking about, what do you think would be, like, if you were, like, if you could, like, fix it up, would you be thinking of just condensing a lot of it like scrapping certain pl- sub plots entirely or focusing on one idea more than another like what what do you think i mean i think we could have focused more on like whiplash i mean the fact that whiplash's dad anton anton vanko he was working with howard stark they don't go through the fact that you're dealing with the son of one uh, brilliant uh, brilliant man at, or scientist and the son of another. Like, we don't deal with that relationship very much. We should be seeing more of Ivan Vanko and Tony Stark, but we're not getting as much of that as we maybe should. And I think that they maybe could have scrapped a little bit of other things to make room for that relationship to happen because it it should maybe be a bigger deal than it ends up being. I think, um, and I'm kind of going back to your first point about the too many plot lines. Um, I think I both agree and disagree with you. Mm -hmm. A lot of the plot lines make sense together. Tony's poisoning and um, Pepper being CEO, those can't be separated in the way that they were presented. Because her being made CEO was a direct result of Tony thinking he was dying. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree that Hammer and Whiplash was kind of too much in this movie. Um, I want more Whiplash Mm -hmm. in this movie because Hammer is meant to be a comedic side villain, but he takes up too much screen time that should be devoted to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, The whole S.H.I.E.L.D. thing I think is also important, and I wouldn't take any of that out of this movie 
because it's leading into the Avengers, right. and it's also a vehicle for introducing information that Tony doesn't have. Mm. Um, so most of it's important. I think the only thing I would take out is Hammond. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think what they could do to improve... We're all echoing the same thing about the multi-subplots. That, that is clear at that point. I personally was not a big fan of their choice on how they wanted Tony to meet the final conflict. I didn't think it really did uh, Whiplash justice. And like you were saying, this is the son of a genius who worked with Tony's father. Like, mm-hmm. this ain't no slouch. Right. And like, like, to, like Hammer kind of swoops in. Like, if they want to have the Hammer bit where he tries, tries to recruit, you know, Whiplash, that's fine. But make it to where Whiplash early on immediately just takes advantage of Hammer. But it literally felt like, and yeah, they did it at the end, but it was like, Wow. Yeah, you showed him. Cool. <laughs> it, it was just too subtle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was too subtle. And, like, I think the best way they probably could have done it, I love the, the subplot of Tony thinking he was dying. Mm-hmm. Because that was the ultimate test to, did Tony really change? Because we just, we in terms of Iron Man references, we just saw Tony make a mission and change of life. So it wasn't like he was this new man. He just started like going down this path. So there's going to be bumps through. So I loved seeing that subplot. Um, I would have rather him dress. I, the movie would have been so much better if they would have just had Whiplash and Tony battle more intellectually. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with drones. If that was with like if they presented that more to be more of a constant threat than cons than just this last minute like. Here we're gonna just flex Iron Man and War Machine together. There we go. We we need to flex War Machines like deadly weaponry somehow. What better way than just send a bunch of you know drones? If they would have had it where Whiplash himself was fighting, but also the drones were constantly evolving as Whiplash got better resources due to Hammer's influence, mm-hmm. then I would have I would have enjoyed that because then you would be like, then you would really show off Whiplash of being yeah he is dangerous. He was dangerous when he was just around in the garage mm-hmm. or you gave him resources and look at the leaps he made it's almost unequal of tony but they missed the ball on that like completely right and it threw everything out of the way kind of to jump off of some of will's points um yeah the ending was really anticlimactic i don't even mind that the drones were easily taken out like right. that doesn't bother me except that you then have like maybe a minute of the two of them together fighting Whiplash. Mm-hmm. And this is Whiplash's final suit that he's made. This is his like his whip idea combined with Iron Man. So he should this should really be a bigger fight with more action and just more. Um that being said, the lead up to that prior to the drone fight in the park there Um, like the flying scenes and um, the dodging of the drones there, I thought that was great action. But the actual, like, ground combat fight scenes, um, including earlier ones, I thought were just, just missed the mark. This one, because there was too little, the the Black Widow and Happy Hogan fight scene 
the camera cuts weren't great for me. Mm -hmm. um, and same thing in this fight. I just, like, the cuts drew my attention too far away. D to me, um, good camera editing is editing that you don't notice. Mm -hmm. If my attention gets drawn away from the movie to the editing of the movie, then something's wrong with the editing. And I got, and I focused on that both times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, I guess um, I agree with what you guys have been saying. Um, I I do think maybe I do understand that the plot lines that um, were made were important. I agree that if Hammer would have been gone, it might have made more room for what you guys have been suggesting. Um, I think we can move into the post-credit. Um, mm -hmm. Going right into the next movie we'll be discussing this week, which is Thor. Uh, Coulson is in New Mexico, and uh, he's telling Nick Fury it's here, and it zooms towards this crater, and in the middle is Thor's hammer, and you get the thunder, and yeah. What a great post-credit. Yeah. Oh. It, it was like my third favorite scene like and it, it was sad that the post credit scene but i i forgot to mention if i don't mind like talking about just a, a whole my favorite scene though of the whole iron man 2 mm -hmm. was more at the beginning when tony's in that court that trial and he's talking <laughs> i enjoy when characters flex yeah and they were worried and here's tony being tony flexing the only way he could packs all their stuff, puts up the screen of all these attempts, and he's like, everyone tries to be me, but they can't be me. And I, <laughs> obviously, you know, Whiplash comes around, you know, turns that whole thing upside down, you know, ooh. But yeah. in that moment, it was such a flex, and I loved a good flex. And I could, it was my favorite part of the scene. And I here I thought, I was like, man, we are going to be rolling high. Like, this movie's really kicking off, but Tony's feeling himself. And then, you know, History tells us otherwise later on. <laughs> I, um, now that we're on the topic of like favorite parts of the movie, I, like, my favorite quote of all of the MCU is in this movie when Tony and Rhodey are fighting and he goes up to the DJ and he says, Give me a fat beat to beat my buddy's ass. <laughs> like, so good. And, and I genuinely think that, like, Robert Downey Jr.'s laugh there was a real laugh at that mm -hmm. line. I don't think he can keep a straight face. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> that's just, like, such a great moment. Um, and then the fight scene, that fight scene is actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, to another one bites I, the dust. <laughs> I, I love when it's just the two of them wailing on each other. They're in iron suits, mm -hmm. but they're just punching each other as though they're, like, just man-to-man. I'm like, what are you doing? Okay. It's a funny scene. <laughs> well, back to the post credits. Yeah, ahead. yeah. Sorry. Um, well, I mean, that that's it. We're teasing Thor. I mean, the, the thunder. and I mean, it was a well-executed post credit scene. It's setting up that Coulson's going to the next, trying to recruit the next uh, person for the Avengers. You know, they're trying to find more people to recruit. They found something interesting in New Mexico. That maybe could lead to that. They want to have it under control. So I mean, it's it's a really cool scene. Yeah, I, I like the shot of the hammer mm -hmm. and the thunder together. Like it's subtle enough to not be like Thor's our next movie, but it's also enough to be like 
Thor is our next movie. Yeah. Right. You know? It's just like, imagine if that was your first um, knowledge that Thor was actually going to be the next movie that they released. Like, you hadn't known that that was coming after, and that's how it got revealed to you. Like, I'd be so stoked for that. Oh, yeah. Um, I think like, good reveal. Yeah. I think one of those things, to JJ's point, though, like, because the hammer alone is so iconic to Thor, like, it doesn't matter how cheesy you get. They could have thunder and lightning, and I wouldn't care because, like, <laughs> Thor himself is just this really over-the-top, in the really good ways, you know, like, he's loud. He is a loud hero. Ironic. Thunder. But, you know, like, <laughs> it's, so it's like, you could have lightning strike that thing playing ACDC Thunderstruck, and I wouldn't have not cared because I would have been like, oh, are you really doing this? It's I think about that would have been a little much for me, personally. <laughs> <laughs> that energy, though, that it brought, though, like, I'm glad they didn't, you know, but I'm just saying, like, I could have still watched that, and I would have been like, yeah, I'm ready for my boy to show up because Thor's up there for, like, top heroes for me, you know. So I was stoked. Yeah. One thing we didn't talk about with this movie, um, which is a, another kind of low point in the movie, is the Stan Lee cameo because it just—it's so short and meh. Yeah. So the Stan Lee cameo. That's actually the next point. Uh, Larry King, uh, because Hugh Hefner, he was Hugh Hefner in the first one. They and now this one, he's Larry King. <laughs> yeah, and that's cool, but it's just. <laughs> Because eh. it yeah. was done in the same way that it was done in Iron Man 1. Yeah. And it was less time and less of the Larry King personality than we got a few Hefner's personality. So, yeah. Whatever. But it's Stan. Y- it's you love Stan. the guy. Yeah, you love the guy. Yeah. Well, so far, I think the best Stanley cameo of the three we've discussed so far is the Hulk one. Although, he... my, the next one is my favorite of the, <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, Thor one. We'll yeah. talk about it. Um, yeah, and uh, we can talk about Easter eggs and callbacks real quick. Um, Easter egg, of course, we get a Captain America Easter egg in this movie. Uh, Coulson picks up uh, the beam that Stark's working on, and there's uh, Cap's shield. It's teasing Cap. Um, and so, you know, if you didn't know Cap was also coming up in the next year, then you'd be like, wait, they're setting up Thor and Captain America? <laughs> So that was cool. He's here too. Just oh. yeah. Um, and well, and I love how Tony's like, "Oh yeah, can you place that under here?" <laughs> Just starting the rivalry off early. How it's going to be. Um, and I think another quick um, Easter egg that I remember. So I don't think this is confirmed, and I don't think really that we should call it canon. But the kid that Tony Stark saves at the Stark Expo, I believe Marvel came out and tried to claim it was Peter Parker. Um, <laughs> I don't think that should be canon because I don't think it was Peter Parker. I mean, they do that with a kid in Captain America and calling him Coulson, too. So it's like, oh. I, I don't think you can have both. Yeah, I don't think this was Peter Parker, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Would he be that... Um, I'm trying to think on the Colson, but that's different. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of the timeline. Yeah. I think that, like, the idea of that being Peter Parker just forces Peter Parker and Iron Man together, or Spider-Man and Iron Man together too much. Yeah. Like, it, this is a whole new direction that they run with Spider-Man from the now Marvel Legacy movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that's cool. Just let yeah. it be that. Yeah. We get a new art. They yeah. Don't force it in earlier movies. Yeah, right. I, I think I think it, it it was just it's a fun fan thing, you know. But I think it was better just to leave it there because I think if you're really gonna break it down, it's more meaningful that it's just some ordinary kid. Right. Because honestly, what Spider Man and Peter Parker have come up to be is nothing ordinary, mm-hmm. you know. So it, I think it's just if you really want to break it down, like it's more meaningful if it was just some random kid. Yeah. Um. I guess now we can just, uh, my, quick, my favorite joke and moment, because you guys have shared yours, mine also, I like the Senate hearing, and we, we didn't touch on, uh, I think it's Gary Shandling as the actor, as Senator Stearns, and when he's just like, F you, Tony Stark, and then at the end, Tony's like, uh, or, uh, Rhodey's like, or someone's like, um, I can't remember who it was, if it was Rhodey's like, you know, is there anything you would want, um, someone to do and tony just makes senator stern's pin him and roadie at the award yeah ceremony so um uh, that was the trade-off for being the consultant for nick fury yeah so that nick fury sorry my bad um and so and so senator stern's is like uh tony pretends to be hurt when senator stern's like puts the pin on and senator stern's is like oh how funny isn't it annoying how annoying a little prick can be <laughs> yeah that's that's my funniest and rip Gary Shandling, I believe the actor has passed away since, but um he will appear again in the MCU and it'll be a funny or not funny a fun moment that will appear later that um we'll get to see and we can talk about um with the government. Um so now let's just get into the villain rankings and the uh movie rankings. Um, so, for the villains, um, so far, currently, the standings are Ironmonger, Obadiah Stane, and his box of scraps are at 4.5 overall is the average, and Abomination, Emil Blonsky, is at 3.5. Um, so, our first of two villains will be added into that, Whiplash, Ivan Vanko, and his bird. Um, so, Mickey Rourke, uh, wanted them to give him a bird in the movie, um, for one, and... Yeah, I mean, it's, he, he literally just, like, he wanted a fake grill, and just, like, there was just a bunch of weird stuff going on with Mickey Rourke in this movie, um, that he wanted to have on set, um, but as a care as the character, um, Whiplash, um, I loved the scene at the racetrack where he's just hit, flashing the whips around, and he's attacking Tony there, and that is my, another one of my favorite scenes of the movie, but after that, he spends half the movie in a lab, and that, like, we've already stated that final fight scene is, like, a minute long, um, and it should be way more than that. I gave Whiplash a three out of six. I think that that racetrack scene is enough to give him a three, um, but just, they didn't, they underused Whiplash, um, and that's, I think, why he gets this low of a rating. So, Jake, I'm gonna rate Whiplash a little bit higher than you. Uh, for a few reasons. One of the reasons is he's not only an intellectual threat, but he's also a like kind of an imposing physical person. He doesn't look it, but in some of the scenes, like when he's escaping the prison, we just we see the way that he takes on other people in just a physical combat type of sense. And that doesn't come to fruition in his battles with Tony. But like, if you were to put Tony and um, Ivan against each other, no suits, no weapons at all, Ivan would kick Tony's butt, I feel like. Um, 
but the other main reason is that to some extent, really, Ivan kind of achieved his purpose. He wasn't aiming to beat or kill Tommy, and he didn't do that. But more, he wanted to affect his legacy. Um, mm-hmm. And he really, I think, got started, like, it, with the drones, he was targeting the public, too. He wasn't just targeting Tony. And the collateral damage is something that they're going to have to deal with a lot in the later movies in the MCU. It doesn't get touched on here. Um, but it's still an issue. So I'm going to give, I think I'll give Whiplash, I'll say a 4.2. Low fours because he wasn't portrayed the best, but I, I want to put him above half. Okay. Well. JJ, you brought up a lot of good points, and it actually made me change my number uh, a little bit. So I'm going to give him a 0.5. It was just at a flat two. And the reason why it sounds petty, it sounds, you know, kind of like, you know, ha-ha. But in reality, that little bump, it, that .5 increase is for the point of saying, like, he didn't reach his goal. Um, and, like, you brought up some interesting points about how he is physically, like, a threat, too, compared to Tony. You know, like, out of suit kind of deal. But he's still low for me just for the mere fact that I didn't like his fit. I think I'm, I might be the one person out of this that I wasn't a big fan of the racetrack scene with him there. I mean, was it cool? Yeah, compared to other scenes. Yeah, mm-hmm. still, the more I think about it, yeah, I, I just wasn't a big fan of him. The actor, you know, eh, it, it, it was just, it felt like a very big misplace, just in general. Mm-hmm. Do I think... He was misused, yes, but I think even if you yeah, used him properly, just how he was presented and, like, just what was being done with him and how, like, the character was being played, it just felt off for me. And I just, I don't know, it just, it, it just did not land for me. I He's definitely better than the other, you know, dude that's in here, you know, that's a villain. But, <laughs> so, 2.5 for me. Mm-hmm. Him. Okay. Um, so, uh, gotta make sure. That brings us to that other villain. Uh, just a sec. Gotta make sure I get the average. Uh, alright, uh, Whiplash is at a 3.23. So, uh, that would put him as the worst villain, but probably not for long. Um,. (laughs) Uh, we have Justin Hammer, played by Sam Rockwell, dancing onto the stage. Um, so, yeah. Okay. You know, Rookie, you give your rating first. Okay, well, um, for, this might even be a little high, because I'm sure you guys are not gonna rank him low. I put him at a 2.5. That's, that's probably a little too high. Um, he's pretty pathetic. I mean, he's literally the pathetic Tony Stark. Um... But just, I mean, none of his stuff works. Um, he's just trying to spend the whole movie trying to one-up Tony um, to show he's the better inventor, but that's obviously not true. Um, and yeah, that, that dance sequence where he just dances on the stage is probably the cringiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so, and I like Sam Rockwell, but it, he just it, this just wasn't it for him. 
What is it with you and criticizing dance scenes? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> hey, when we get to Guardians, I'm not criticizing that dance scene. No, okay. he's in it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Man, I like, I hesitate to even call him a villain in this movie because just Tony and him are in different leagues, really. And I'm giving him a two. The whole movie, he tries to just be, a, he tries to be Tony. And he doesn't do it well. Mm-hmm. He fails at a lot of things. Uh, the reason I'm not rating him lower is because he did make one very intelligent decision in this movie, and that was to partner up with someone else, in this case Whiplash, in order to defeat Tony. And he did that in a really intelligent way. He made it seem like um, Ivan Vanko was dead. Um, and he got broke him out of prison in order to utilize him. But after that, like their whole relationship, that was just a shit show. And mm-hmm. I gave him a one. It's a one. <laughs> he was an antagonist, a little pest that was given screen time as if he was going to be this plot twist villain. For his role of what he was supposed to be as a, just a little thorn in the side or just like a means to ro- elevating whiplash, I don't even think he did that right. Because I really don't feel like whiplash was risen that much because of like Hammer. I really don't even feel like I literally, I could have, you could have just had a movie where whiplash still had his normal stuff, but he just progressively just evolved. Like he stole equipment from Tony. I think that would have made it more better if he stole from Tony. Mm-hmm. Like, he found a way to steal from Tony instead of involving Hammer at all. And I would have been like, alright, Whiplash is where he's at still. So, I, it, it just, Hammer was just, I, I hate why, I, I don't know why they did it. Like, it was so stupid. Like, you, you, we knew he was gonna be just a comic relief, a parody to Tony. So why was he given so much screen time? Okay, cool. He gave us a war machine. Let that don't make that be like his like attempt to be a villain, you know, or like or like I mean not even a villain, because he he was trying to beat Tony and ruin Tony. So he was more of an antagonist, but in, in a weird way, now that I'm thinking about it, his whole goal wasn't, like, to take over the world, because Ivan tricked it and took over his drones. He was just trying to be better than Tony. Mm-hmm. So he was an agonist. It was just, he was, he was just, like, the associate of Ivan for the longest time. So it's like, I'm giving him a one because he shouldn't even sit there to build. Like, not at all. Yeah, and I'm only put giving him a 2.5, which is a little high, because I feel like there's a, at least one villain that's even worse than him, even though they may be more intimidating. <laughs> we'll talk about... <laughs> um, I, think, I, think, I think Will knows who I'm going to be talking about in a couple weeks, who I will rank lower. Um, but... I'm upset, but go ahead. Yeah, and... Uh, that movie won't rank high either for me. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll get to that when we get to it. Okay. Um, so should be one point seven five, I think. Um, yeah. So one point eight three, but yeah, Justin Hammer is in last for now. Might stay that way. We don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he will. Yeah. <laughs> rank the movie. 
All right, overall movie, I gave Iron Man 2 a 3.5, um, mainly for the fact that, regardless, Robert Downey Jr. is going to shine as Tony Stark, um, and Nick Fury also shines, and Coulson. We've said the parts that are the bright spots in this movie, um, and that alone will put it up to this point. It's not great. Like we, I said, it's a bit of a mess of a movie. Um, it's still important. It still does set up stuff for for the Avengers, Um but, yeah, I, I think this is the right spot for it, so. I'm giving it a three, um, and this is probably the lowest rating I'm going to give any of the Marvel movies, because none of them are bad movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a muddled plot, um, some editing stuff that just took me away from the story, um, poor development of villains. There's just a lot of things that are just meant about the movie so it's middle of the road gotta give it a three okay i'm right there with you jj i got it as three it's average didn't i don't really hate it because it's just marvel you know at the time just had a higher standard for me because iron man one was pretty solid but you know it is what it is i think it's just an average film all right, uh, that gives Iron Man 2 a 3.17. Um, Should be our lowest, right? Yep, that is our lowest right now. Um, we'll see if Thor goes above it. It might. Um, but yes, for now, that is the lowest Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, and Iron Man 2 in that order. Interesting how they ended up getting worse so far as they went. <laughs> that won't... They'll get better as we bounce back. Right. Um, Avengers certainly is a good okay. down there. Yeah. So, uh, coming up after uh, this is going to be Thor. We're going to talk about the God of Thunder, everything that happens um, in the first movie. So, stay tuned for that. How'd you get inside that cloud? Also, how could you eat an entire box of Pop-Tarts and still be this hungry? This drink, I like it. I know, it's great, right? Another! All right, welcome back. Um, We're now going to go into uh, Thor, um, the God of Thunder. It was teased right at the end of Iron Man 2. So, perfect segue into the fourth movie of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I guess initial impressions of Thor. um, If we don't have any, then we can just move on to our casting. Loved it. It was kind of a hit or miss for me, mm-hmm. but I'll get more into that later. Yeah, um, I know I said in the first episode that Civil War was my first. Okay, so technically, when I was casual viewing the movies as a teenager, technically my first ever MCU movie was Thor. Ooh. So, so I I will say that, but Civil War kind of started my binge of watching them on from that. Um, but yeah, so I mean. Um, so let's get into the casting. Thor was a lot better the first time I watched it than it is watching it now. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Opposite for Will? Okay, we'll talk about that. Okay, yeah. the first, first time I watched it, I really enjoyed it, but then, like, the if, it was, like, a weird thing. I enjoyed it just because I enjoy movies sometimes, just on the first impression, but then it fell off for me for a while. But it's, it's after re-watching it, it's... <laughs> and there, I think there's good moments. Um, 
So, yeah, um, we'll move into casting. So we've got, of course, our stars, the brothers, the Odinsons. We've got Chris Hemsworth as Thor and Tom Hiddleston as Loki. And I want to go into a casting story with this. Um, a listener uh, brought to our attention that maybe we should do some listener uh, or some casting stories. Um, so I'm, lis- I'm listening to the listener and putting in some casting stories um, that I did some right, research on. Stuff I've ever heard one. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so... I got a nickname for it, I think. <laughs> so, so, Chris Hemsworth, um, he almost lost the role of Thor to his younger brother, Liam Hemsworth, <laughs> and, uh, he said his initial audition, Chris said his initial audition didn't turn out so well, he thought, and he thought Liam's went really, really well. Then Liam just encouraged him to keep trying, and they eventually picked Chris. Um, another fun uh, tidbit, Tom Hiddleston originally auditioned for Thor instead of Loki. And then they s- told Tom, you know what? You'd be a better fit for Loki. Yeah, um, I can't at all see him as Thor. Yeah. Great job on that choice. Yeah. Um, no, but it, I think there's like footage of that they released of like uh, audition footage of Tom Hiddleston like using Thor's hammer and having blonde hair. I believe that there was there's some stock footage of that that you can find. Um, so and and Tom Hiddleston knew the director Kenneth Branagh from doing theater work. So that's why Branagh wanted him in the movie um, because he worked with him. Um, and Kenneth Branagh he brings his Shakespearean theater experience to this movie. Um, that's why he's he was picked to direct it. Um, did it necessarily work? We'll talk about it. Um, and I mean, what, what do you guys think of the fact that Hemsworth and Hiddleston, what do you think of them as Thor and Loki, respectively? I love them throughout (laughs) the MCU. I think Chris Hemsworth really shines as Thor in later movies. In this movie, meh, (laughs) but that's kind of Thor's character in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, like... I don't know that Chris Hemsworth acts the hyper-arrogant side of Thor as well as he does the other aspects of him. Mm-hmm. But Tom Hiddleston as Loki? Yes. Mm-hmm. 100% Tom nails Loki across the board. Beautifully done. Chris Hemsworth, re-watching Thor when I did, I I appreciated it more. Mm-hmm. Like I was with JJ. Like, you know, I, you know, at first I was like this. But after rewatching it, having fresh in my mind again, man, Chris did a lot of things that I liked that I didn't notice like the first few times around, and I feel ashamed that I didn't pick up on those things or I didn't respect it enough. But there was a lot that Chris did in early, younger Thor in this sense that gets so underappreciated, and I, I I think he does a really good job. Plus, like honestly, how he looks because his hair's not as like. Like, the wig isn't as long as it is, like, later on before, you know, obviously it's, you know, cut, but then comes back again. But, like, the look of Thor, like, this young, youngish Thor, is actually, like, a really good look, and I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I love... Hemsworth gets better as the movies go on, but I lo- I've loved Loki since the start. I mean, Tom Middleston has done a fantastic job with making the god of mischief who he is and if you're ever talking about loki you just instantly flash to tom hiddleston's portrayal um and 
So I, I love that about them. Um, I guess we can talk about some of these side characters. Um, uh, we have Anthony Hopkins as Odin, the Allfather. Yep. Does a fantastic job. Yes. Odin. Odin's not... I mean, I think of the three movies, this is the most screen time Odin gets, isn't it? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think he does a really good job. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think, personally, Sir Anthony Hopkins is what I love the most about the movie. Oh. I, I enjoy... Um, I think his approach, his demeanor, everything what he brings to Odin on the screen is just... I always love seeing him on the screen as Odin. Mm-hmm. He, does, he is... The, just because of just how he is as an actor, he balances that wise older person but same time when he was getting angry in the movie like anthony he knows how to bring out like some really like oh startling moments you know out of it him, because there's a scene but that they not the king yeah or him growling at loki <laughs> that was like improvised from what i've heard like that was improvised and tom was genuinely like Kind of spooked that. <laughs> it was a good moment. Yeah, He's it was like, a very good moment. Like, I'm talking to your brother. Shut up. <laughs> but with just one and, you know, he gets that feeling across. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and it captures like a lot of like emotions that's building up. Not just anger, but like disappointment. And like, he does a great job. Odin is, in this movie, Odin is my favorite, out of everything, is my favorite part. It's like my favorite character. I love him. Yeah. yeah, and Anthony does a great... He should be respected for that. Yeah. Uh, Hopkins does a great job with, um, especially some of the smaller um, dialogue pieces. Like, even at the very end, where he just... Just the line, no, Loki. The way he delivers that in that scene, that's excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, just the attention to detail. And this is... I think that's a testament to his acting career. I mean, he's an experienced actor, um, he's been on the screen for a long time prior to this, and it it, it comes through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then we have Stellan Skarsgård as Doctor er- Eric Selvig, and I I like Stellan Skarsgård. I mean, the Scar Skarsgårds are great actors; they're a great family of actors. Um, and I actually Selvig, I think this is the most time Selvig screen time Selvig gets. So, uh. Maybe, maybe the second Thor, um, but, I mean, after, after a little bit, Skarsgård kind of disappears, um, in the MCU, and, which is kind of disappointing, I kind of, I kind of actually want Stellan Skarsgård back, and, I mean, the only other movie that I've seen him in was, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, so, as Bootstrap Bill, so. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the Skarsgård family, uh, like you said, great family of actors, but, yeah, I, I liked him in this role, um. The acting wasn't, like, stellar to the point where I'm going to rave about the acting, but it was just an all-around great portrayal of the character. So I, I really got no extra stuff to say about that. Yeah, I thought they were solid. I mean, the only person I'll really rave about is maybe Tom, but Anthony. Yeah. I mean, I will <laughs> rave about, and rightfully so. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, then... Became Odin. <laughs> well, um, we'll get to 
two actors that maybe are a little more controversial in terms of how we think of them. We've got Natalie Portman as Jane Foster and Kat Dennings as Darcy Lewis. <laughs> See, okay, here's the problem. I have... Bias gets in the way of my evaluation of acting sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, the character... The, Darcy's character is not a character I like. Mm-hmm. I don't like that character in any show or any movie that I've ever seen. But the actress did a good job portraying that character. Mm-hmm. So, like... I, I, I don't know. I just... I, She's not needed in the movie. It's like it's a type of comic relief that we don't need in in Thor because it, it plays to idiocy, mm-hmm. which is just like that's such a kind of easy and cheesy bank to dig into for comedy, and we don't. I, I don't think Marvel needs it. Yeah. So. I didn't mind her too much. I'm not going to be like swaying one way or another on her. I enjoyed some of her moments in there, but at the same time, JJ, like you said, if she wasn't there, I wouldn't be losing sleep. Um, just kind of moving on, Natalie Portman. I, I honestly liked her in the movie. I did. Mm. I, I did. I'm not saying like, you know, she was amazing and all that, but like, honestly, like there were like just scenes I genuinely felt like some nice mystery between her and her when they were together talking. There were some cheesy lines in there like that just kind of made it worse like or made things awkward. But other than that, I was just like, okay, you know, they act like they actually like you know get along. You know, like it act, it felt nice to see them on screen together, like the two characters at least. I agree with that, Will. Um, especially the scene when they're outside after. Um he and Selvig are at the bar, um, mm-hmm. and, he's, and Thor's talking about Yggdrasil. Am I saying that right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's just that's like a nice touching moment where you see the chemistry between the two characters. And throughout the movie, like the the interplay of being from two completely different cultures and how they kind of bridge that gap is really nice. Although. One moment I do want to point out is their kiss at the end was just really kind of awkward. <laughs> See, that, that's what I point to. I'm just going to I I don't know that I dig them as a couple. I'm just going to say it. I don't... I, I just don't... Yeah, they might have a little chemistry, but not as much as, like... I mean, you get Tony and Pepper in, in the Iron Man movies. Like, that's amazing chemistry between actors and their roles. I don't get that from Jane Foster and Chris and Thor and Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman. I don't get that as much. Um, I mean, since Natalie Portman's coming back, maybe maybe with better direction. Uh, so yeah, I mean, with better direction, I think she might be better. So, um, and I guess we can just talk about the minor ones briefly. Um, Idris Elba's in this movie as Heimdall. Um, unfortunately, Idris Elba has stated that he didn't like working on the Thor movies. I don't think, um, because he wasn't really given much to do with the character of Heimdall. Um, yeah, which is unfortunate. Heimdall is a badass character. Yeah, and I love Idris Elba. Ooh, he is really good at, as Heimdall. I know, 
like, you know what? He didn't have much to say and do, but I think the scene where he's just like, I no longer have to serve you. And he's just like, without missing a beat, was just ready to throw down. Like, he's like, I've been waiting for this moment. Like, that was the actions of somebody who was holding back. Just like, he's like, you are lucky. My job does not allow me to put my hands around that scrawny neck. Pull yeah. Fired. <laughs> Come here. I, I will say him just seeing directly through Loki is pretty cool. Um, just, like, knowing exactly that Loki's been up to this the entire time. And eventually he just snaps and is like, I gotta take care of this. Um, um, and then we don't really get... I don't know how you guys feel about the characters. We got the Warriors 3 and Lady Sif. So... Like, I, I love... Um, not in this context, but I love in like the comics and the Marvel universe, the Lady Sith and the Warriors Three. Um, I I just didn't like the power deficit between Thor and those characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. Whenever they were in fights where Thor was also involved, they felt useless, mm-hmm. and I just didn't see the need for them if Thor was just going to come in as a Superman type character and save the day. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, I mean, we do get an actor that gets recast in the second Thor with, I think it's Josh Dallas as uh, Fangirl, and then he gets recast as Zachary Levi. Um, and uh, I believe... He's such a minor character, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, it's, I mean, he doesn't matter that much in the grand scheme of things, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and I know technically Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has Lady Sif in it, Technically, I don't know whether to count it as part of the MCU or not. <laughs> it's parallel to the MCU, but it doesn't affect the movies. Yeah. Okay, plug, if you haven't watched MC, or, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I recommend it. It's a great show. It's, it's on Netflix, isn't it? I don't know. I it, think so. Unless it's coming to Disney Plus soon, but who knows? I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Disney's gonna reel in all their properties from everywhere. Yeah. Well, anyway. Where the money's at. Yeah. Yeah. So so we'll get we'll get into um we can get into the post credits um uh the one post credit we have Loki and Selvig so basically Selvig is taking uh for the Tesseract appears in this uh. Or glimpse of the tesseract, I should say. It's not actually revealed yet, um, but you see a blue light that Nick Fury opens up when Selvig comes in, and it's implied that it's this item of immense cosmic power. Um, and then you look in the mirror, and uh, Selvig uh, says, or you see Loki come in in the mirror, and he's like, "Well, that's worth a look." And then. Selvig appears to be under mind control from Loki that, you know, Loki is going to have his hands in all the pies, um, and it's setting up the Avengers, and we know that... Loki fashion. Yep, and we know that Loki's going to be a big part of that that moment, of that movie, um, moving forward. Um, So, yeah, what's your thoughts on that post-credit scene? So, I dug it. I, I, it was, you know, a pretty interesting, you know, like, post credit scene. Got me, you know, thinking about, okay, all right, here we go, you know. 
and it definitely fueled because you you knew Loki was going to be sticking around here. But it was nice to see that, like, okay, he's still like it looks like he's really going to be a recent villain again coming mm-hmm. up here. Uh, it got me, but, but it, you know, it wasn't the most mind-boggling, you know, hyping post-credit scene I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was all right. Um, it wasn't like a big reveal or anything because at this point we don't know what the Tesseract is. All it's really saying is that Selvig is going to be working with S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, for comic book readers, they know that, oh my god, this is the Infinity Stones. Yes. And that's a big reveal. But for your average movie watcher, like, it's, it doesn't mean much. Right. Um, all right, so we'll get into Easter eggs, the Stanley cameo callbacks. Um, Easter eggs, we get actually... <laughs> Our first tease of Hawkeye in this movie, we see someone uh, walk over, They there's a gun on the table, but it passes over to a bow, grabs the bow, and heads up into the crow's nest, and we know that it's Hawkeye. Um, and uh, Jeremy Renner apparently was an uncredited cameo in this movie, I researched oh. that, and so he doesn't get credited till Avengers. Um uh, Interesting. But this is technically uh, Clint Barton' uh, first appearance in the Marvel Cinematic Universes and Thor. So, welcome. I think it's worth comparing Hawkeye's um, introduction to Black Widow's introduction because mm-hmm. of the way that those two characters are utilized on the Avengers team, mm-hmm. um, and they play pretty similar roles. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I wonder right. if. Hawkeye's much smaller introduction because he was a lot less in this movie than Black Widow was in Iron Man 2. Mm-hmm. If that has anything to do with her playing a more major role in the Avengers movies overall, too. Mm-hmm. Um, because Hawkeye just kind of feels like um, he feels like the minor leagues of the <laughs> Avengers team. And Black Widow is too, but Hawkeye even more so. Oh, yeah. And, and I just, right. this movie feels like it kind of sets up that tone from the start. And I don't know, it's just an interesting thing to look at for me. I yeah. enjoyed his introduction more than Black Widow's, to be honest, because I think it was a good, like, all right, hey, you know this guy, you really do know him. Like, if you know your comics and stuff like this, you recognize him. He's here too, or he's like in this world. Moving on. And like, it's just like, so that way you're not like sitting here, like, scratching your head, like, how is Hawkeye and Thor, you know, going to be, you're not going to be having this weird, like, you know, parallel running Black Widow and was, you know, where they're pretty much running in the same direction for a time period. And you're kind of wondering where she's going to be fitting in his storyline and stuff like that. With Hawkeye, it's more just like what it is, an Easter egg and not a, he's here, you know him. All right. That was Mm -hmm. it for now. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and I guess another Easter egg that I wanted to say was uh, when Natalie Portman or Jane Foster gives Thor her ex-boyfriend's shirt and it says Donald Blake on it. And that is reference to Thor's alter ego in the comics. Um, well, they, they even use it as an alter ego, kind of. Yes, because yeah. Selvig picks him up from S.H.I.E.L.D. and says, uh, calls him Dr. Blake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like... I like things like that and like in Hulk when we talked about the purple shorts mm-hmm. where they reference more major parts of the comics and then include them in a very minor way. Mm-hmm. It, it's a great way to show this is its own universe. 
-hmm. we're not doing the same things as we've done in other iterations of these characters. Yeah. Or just how evolved because they did scrap that idea of secret identity. I mean, it was a part of his hit, like Thor's history in the comics, but it's been later changed and revamped so many different ways and different times, but it's just like a nod of, this was once part of his history. Here's a little nod to it. Yeah. Um, and then the Stanley cameo, of course, this is a really great one. Uh, everyone's trying to move the Thor's hammer, um, Mjolnir from, uh, the crater and uh, you have someone with the truck, and they're pulling, and the whole bed of the truck flips, and Stanley leans out of the window and is like, did it work? And it's just, it's amazing, because it's just like, I don't know, this might be my favorite Stanley cameo out of the four so far. <laughs> of the four, definitely. Yeah, it's just a great comedic relief section here. <laughs> it's something that picture Stan just doing one time, like, we need to... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me get a did it work? <laughs> no, honestly, no, that whole, like, scene of the sword and the stone yes. the strongman contest, I thought that was a great little bit to add in. It wasn't overwhelming in the movie. There wasn't too much of it. Um, it was just a nice little aside scene, you know? I agree. Uh, if uh, Stan actually got out of the truck and went to go pick it up, my man would have picked that shit up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He would have said Excelsior, and then just... <laughs> um, Alright, and then uh, just favorite jokes and moments. I do want to reference just some of the fish-out-of-water comedy. Of course, uh, Thor picking up the uh, mug in the diner and just being like, this drink, I like it, another! And just smashing it. <laughs> I love it. I, I do like... Um, I, I do like that aspect of the comedy in this movie. Um... I think it gets overplayed later on, but it's it's great for the first Thor movie. Some of my favorite moments, though, I pulled two quotes. Um, I really like the moment with the big dude in the uh, tunnels at the S.H.I.E.L.D. facility, mm -hmm. um, where he's like, you're big, I fought bigger. <laughs> that's just such a Thor thing to say. Um, I just really like that moment. And then uh, another one is uh, when Loki takes the helm of Asgard, uh, when he says something to the effect of, my first actions can't be to undo the last action of my predecessor. Um, even though he was using that in a manipulative way to get what he wants, mm -hmm. I think like, I think that's a powerful leadership quote, and the fact that Loki's able to utilize like leadership strategies to serve his ultimate purpose just like that serves Loki's conniving, mischievous ways, and like the way that he is, and I just that I like that quote. Yeah, my my favorite moment is just almost anything with Odin. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the initial like scene where he's banishing Thor. What I love about it though is, and this is what was one of the things I talked about that I didn't appreciate the one time what Chris was doing. But what I noticed that when I rewatched it was you really see it, it was almost like with acting too in a way because I knew very well before Thor. I don't know if this was a you know major role. It might might be. But it's almost like kind of fitting because you have Sir Anthony Hopkins playing Odin, the all father, the king, and you have Chris Hemsworth, Thor, the young Thor, the naive child in this sense. 
Mm -hmm. and listening to them talk, you have Odin trying to teach his son, like, like, try to get through his head, like, you really messed up here. It's not just about, this whole thing isn't about, you know, fighting and defeating enemies. There's more to being a king than winning. And watching Thor just be so naive and young, and you just see Odin just, like, so, like, not even, yeah, he's angry because there are times he's yelling, shouting, but you just see at one point, like, when Thor snaps at calls him an old fool, mm-hmm. and Odin, it's like, clicks in Odin's head, he's like, damn, maybe I am. And it hurts him, because he's just like, like, alright, you're right, I am a fool, I am a fool that I thought you were ready, like, legit, and he's like, and then Odin just that build-up of just, it wasn't anger, it was pain, like, being four of his title, and I love that scene. I watching it again. I seen the. It was great acting by Chris. Chris did a great job in it, pulling off the bratty, naive Thor, and then got Anthony just being Anthony, <laughs> playing a great Odin. And I just love that scene. All right, um, let's. I guess let's move into the villains, and we should make a distinction. We are going to be ranking Loki purely in the Thor movie, not further into the mcu we'll talk about loki as we go through the mcu um and we'll talk about loki and just the avengers next week um but this is purely in thor we're not counting the destroyer because it's something that loki used to attack new mexico um that was under him and we're not talking about laufey the king of the frost giants because also loki had his hand in that manipulating him um to do what he wanted to make him look like the hero that saved odin Balfour is what Am- Hammer should have been. Just a quick little pivot point. But yeah. Go on. I agree <laughs> with that. Yeah, I agree with that uh, too. One of my favorite things about Loki in this movie is how Loki and Thor basically had opposite character development arcs. Mm-hmm. Thor went from this like super proud, um, I'm doing everything right uh, type of person to like being super humble. Mm-hmm. Um, and Loki started out kind of flying under the radar and waiting for his moment. And then once he hits his stride, then he really gets into it and he like becomes pretty, uh, self-serving at that point. Not that he ever wasn't, but, um, it like that interplay between the two is really cool, but, um, more on his villainry, uh, Loki is just a master strategist. The whole entire movie was one long play that Loki was doing from the beginning. Um, even when they were first going to Jotunheim, mm-hmm. like he was already pushing Thor right. this way and that way and manipulating people. And he plays solely to his strengths. Um, for that, I'm going to rate Loki at a 5.4, I'll say. I think he was a really good villain in this movie. Yeah, I, I'm going to give Loki a uh, 5.5. I think that Loki is just, yeah, like JJ said, he's a super manipulative villain. He is using all this to get the throne of Asgard, to get the recognition that he wants. Um, I love the scene that Hiddleston does with Hopkins where, you know, Loki just shouts Odin into the Odin sleep and he's just like so distressed about being the overshadowed brother and just wanting to know what his purpose is what is my purpose tell me 
Like, why am I, uh, why do you not want a frost giant here? Like, why did you not tell me about my past? It's just, it's perfect acting, and I love it. And this, Loki killed his own father, technically, because he kills Laufey. Laufey's actually his blood father, I'm pretty sure. Like, because he was a frost giant. So, Loki manipulates everybody. He kills his actual father, and, like all to make himself look like the hero and so i mean yeah 5.5 for me so i enjoyed loki in this after rewatching it he definitely it changed my perspective of what i originally thought of him in this i have him out of the four and a half because as it was going to me like it felt like as the more like because it started off villain I was like, all right, he's doing all this. But it was in this, the final moment, or in certain moments of the scene, I couldn't, it, I really started to notice him falling off as a villain in my eyes, just more so as a very, very misguided antagonist in this sense. Mm-hmm. Or like, he was looking to cause harm. But like, there's like a moment where he's fighting Thor, and he's like, I didn't want the throne. I just wanted to be recognized as your equal. Mm-hmm. So it was not about power. Later it became about power because it just was like that steep hill we were rolling down on. Mm-hmm. But it was in the, like those moments, like it was just Loki just trying to be recognized as being worthy because Mjolnir was used as this measurement of who's worthy or not. And like, even despite all that stuff, he was not worthy and he just wanted to be recognized in that way by Odin. Mm-hmm. By everybody. And so, like, yeah, he did very terrible things to try to get the recognition. He was very conniving. But I got it at four and a half because, like, just at one point, I'm just like, hey, you're really not like that. You're a villain. It's like from Wreck It Route where you're like, you're a bad guy, but you're not a bad guy. They're <laughs> <laughs> sounding like at this point. But I, I'll stick with the four and a half. But. That's kind of Loki's thing throughout the entire MCU, though. Yeah, yeah. he ships he's loyalties. He's a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy. Yeah. But you do bad things. <laughs> See, he's he's so charming. <laughs> you know, we could get that crossover now that Disney owns Marvel. <laughs> oh, I no. I not do that. Be in the meeting. You're a bad guy. <laughs> okay. God. No. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, uh, 5.13 is what Thor's ver- the Thor version of Loki ends up at. So right now, Thor version of Loki is the number one, um, and I don't anticipate next week that that will change, but it might be the Avengers version. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Um, either way, Loki could end up being top two. Who knows? Um... Uh, alright, so overall movie, uh, for Thor, um, I gave it a 3.5, I think a lot of performances are okay, or, great, sorry, (laughs) I think the movie is just okay, um, I think that I'm not the biggest fan of Natalie Portman and Chris Hemsworth together, I just, I couldn't buy it exactly, um, but, I mean, like I said, I think it's an alright movie. Um, maybe it should be a little higher than I had Iron Man 2, because I think it is actually better than Iron Man 2, but I'll I'll put it around that spot. So, 3.5 for me. I think that 
Thor had some of the same problems as Iron Man 2 um, in terms of like editing and mm-hmm. directing and whatnot. Like the final fight scene was so short. Yeah. Um, it, the movie built up to something fully anticlimactic to me. Um, but it also had an opposite problem of Iron Man 2. I almost felt like the plot could have used one more like good kind of subplot in it. Um, at, at times, I just kind of got bored of the main story going on with Thor because there wasn't enough character development there. That being said, some of the acting was phenomenal, especially the small emotional stuff with Anthony <clears throat> Hopkins and Tom Hiddleston. Um, so I'm going to give this movie, I agree with Jake, I think a 3.5 is pretty good rating for Thor. The movie looks pretty good. So, after rewatching it, JJ, I used to, when I, like, I would think back on Thor, I thought of a lot of similar things that you did to some extent. But rewatching it, I have a different appreciation of it. Maybe it's just because my taste of what I appreciate in movies just evolved. But I give it a four and a half, four point five, and I give it for this reason was because. I used to think the same thing that the build up to this confrontation between Thor and Loki was, you know, a letdown. But the more I thought about it and what I really noticed it was it wasn't meant to be this big showdown. It was meant to just be the whole purpose was more so just Thor his conflict was with himself more than anything else. Loki was just another figure that he had to deal with. Like, to me, Loki and his schemes was a subplot, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Thor's main plot was just getting himself back to being worthy. And what I loved about it, what I loved the most was about it was when Thor is really powerful, and it's not once in this movie did I feel like he wasn't, because in the fight, when he's fighting the Frost Giants, yeah, he's overwhelmed with numbers, but he was still... Like, JJ, like you were saying, it almost like the, the other band of fighters, like, why are you here? Thor's legit just carrying you guys right now. Yeah, that's and then one you problem have... that they don't have with Thor. Right. And then the fight with, um, I'm drawing a blank on the weapon. What's the, the bones? Yeah. Okay, so when it's fighting the, so when he's fighting the Destroyer, the Destroyer at one point backhands Thor when he doesn't have his powers. Yeah. And you feel like Thor's nearly, like, just stunned. And what I love is when he gets his powers back. Like, that, I love the, the little flashbacks, the cuts to lead up to the hammer coming back to him. I love it. And when Thor gets his powers back, he slaps the living hell out of this weapon that was built up to be, oh, like, the trump card in, for Asgard. Mm-hmm. Like the Destroyer was the weapon. And in the here's Thor, like, no... I'm going to whack you. I'm deflecting your powerful beam in the air with my wind, and then I'm going to just drive my hammer through your face, and you're done. And then the fight with Loki, it's so one-sided. Because even though Loki at times has Thor in his back, you see Thor is holding back by a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, Thor, he's trying to fight Loki. Even when he, like, pokes at Thor, in a way... You know Thor ain't fighting at full force. Because then, like, one of my favorite moments is Loki's on his back, and Thor's just like, 
yeah, sit here for a sec while I try to <laughs> take out what you just did. And he just leaves Mjolnir on him. Like, he could have smashed Loki. He could have done all this. But he's like, nah, chill here for a sec, brother. Mm-hmm. And he's just looking. And then he's like, oh, wait, I need it back. And then he mm-hmm. calls it back. I, I enjoy Thor so much. I used to think it was like a... Because, JJ, you brought this up off camera at one point. Like, it tried to do what Iron Man did, but worse. Or, like, something along those lines. But, like, I actually have a more appreciation for it than I did before. And that's why I got to give it a four and a half. I think it's yeah very good. Yeah. I, I, I see your points that you're making. Um... So, that is a 3.83. Um, that makes it the second best movie in the MCU right now, uh, behind Iron Man, and it is above Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2. So, that's pretty good. Um, so, next week, we get to finish off Phase 1 of the MCU with Captain America, the first Avenger, and Avengers. We get to talk all about the Star-Spangled Man with a plan, um, and, uh, it's going to be a fun time to talk about Steve Rogers, and, uh... I'm I'm excited. So uh see you guys next time on the Tribe of Nerds.